recall that Paul is speaking to the Christians in Ephesus. He has been there before. Much of the book of Acts talks about Paul's adventures. And now he's writing them later, probably from Corinth, seeking to give them some encouragement. Ephesians 2, beginning verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, this not of your own selves, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. Let's pray together. Holy Father, thank you for the reading of your holy word. Thank you, Lord, for looking down upon us in mercy, sending Jesus to die for us. In spite of our sins, Father, reaching out to us in love. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for our time together. Please bless us, Lord, as we seek to do your will and to put you first in our lives. Bless those that are hurting, those among our families and friends who may have lost loved ones or who may be um, sick or just not feeling well, or who may be dealing with different struggles in life, we pray your blessing. Oh Lord, we're thankful for your greatness, your great love, your great power. Thank you, Father, for allowing us time on earth. We pray your blessing upon our families, our marriages, our moms and dads, grandma and grandpas, and pray for our little ones. Pray you bless every class uh, this evening that's meeting here and those meeting throughout our great brotherhood. Bless us, Father, that as we learn that we will seek to do your will and shine the, the light of Jesus everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been looking at different mistakes that, that men make in dealing with the Bible and dealing with God. We call these religious errors. And there are many of these in the world. We don't do this to pick on anyone, but rather to try to seek and understand better. 
I want us to think about the ideal that's out there in the world. It's called original sin. Original sin. Okay. That's the error that we'll be dealing with this evening. Original sin. Now I want to progress this way. Let's get this in our minds so we can uh, kind of flow together in class. We're going to first ask, what is this? And then secondly, notice why this is false. And then thirdly, notice some passages that are used to try to support uh, this idea of original sin. And then show how that this false notion leads to other false notions, false ideas. And that happens so much. If you get lost on one false idea, then that's going to lead to another false idea, and that's what we see uh, in our world. Okay. And so let's start over here about this, and let's think about what is this original sin? Well, it is the notion that we all come into this world totally, sinfully depraved, okay. and that we get this condition through our parents of all things, through our parents. Okay. In other words, we come into this world and we are presently condemned because of sin and we are eternally lost because of sin. Now, this is not right, but I'm just saying this is the notion that is out there. Another way of explaining it is uh, there is the belief that when Adam sinned, that this is passed on down to all descendants since then, including us, and that we inherit his guilt of sin and his corrupt nature of sin. Okay. And we'll see why this is uh, not correct. But that's basically uh, the idea. I am still surprised, personally, of how much this is believed and how much this permeates so much of what is believed just up and down the road here, just among our neighbors and our family members. And so it's worth our taking a look at. Now let's remember that Jesus wants us to study this kind of ideal or, or look at these types of things because he warns us that there are false teachers uh, in the world. First John 4, uh, verse 1 uh, John writes, believe not every spirit, but test what's out there because there are many false prophets that have gone out into the world. One verse that we want to look at um, in Mark in our Bibles tonight is Ecclesiastes 7 and 29. Let's turn over there and look right quick. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 29. It tells us something about God. Ecclesiastes 7, chapter 7. In your Old Testament, Ecclesiastes 7 and 29. But notice there that God has made man upright. But man has sought out many inventions or sought out many devices. And this is the work of Satan. Satan gets into the minds of men he tries to lead us away from the scriptures. Okay. And, but it doesn't come uh, from God. So basically that's what it is. The, the idea that we inherit sin and we come into this world sinful 
this is because of Adam's sin, and this is passed on down through us through our parents. Okay. So that's what it is. Now, why is this notion false? In other words, what does the Bible actually teach um, about this? Let me say this before I move on. I'm, just, I'm not just making this up. Okay. Um, it's not in our situation here to do this, but if we were sitting down with a longer Bible study, you could look up and notice when this notion got started. It actually got started way back in the A.D. 100s and 200s with a man by the name of Irenaeus. Irenaeus. And several followed him back in those days. And then you come further into history, say the 1300s, 1400s, a man by the name of Augustine picked it up. And after he picked this idea up, <clears throat> you've heard of John Calvin. John Calvin. He picked it up. A lot of people live by John Calvin and his writings. And then after him, Charles Spurgeon, who lived in the A.D. 1600s, he picked it up. And people really think a lot about these, think a lot about these guys and emulate them. And so it's been picked up by, by pastors and denominational teachers even today. Okay. I needed to say that because it's not just something we make up. It's, it's something that's out there and it, it attaches itself to different people. So maybe sometimes you will uh, hear a preacher on TV, TV by the name of Charles Stanley. He believes this right and left. He is, he, he, you'll, if you listen to him very long, he will talk about our sin nature. Our sin nature. By the way, the NIV version, one reason we don't really encourage the NIV version is because the translators of that version also are um, involved in this doctrine. Okay? One thing they do in the, in the NIV version, everywhere the word flesh is used, they use the term sinful nature. Okay? Where you'll see flesh in your King James Version or even the English Standard Version, New King James Version, they'll insert sinful nature. No point in doing that. Okay? It's just very dishonest, but that's what happens. And so we try to... It's one of the reasons why we just don't promote the NIV uh, version. Okay? All right, so that's what it is. That's what it is. Now, what can we say uh, in reference to this? Why is it false, and what does the Bible actually teach? Think about three things here. Sin, children, and God. Sin, children, and God. Okay. Now, sin, sin, you know this. Sin is of such a nature that it cannot be inherited. Okay. The nature of sin itself is that it cannot be inherited. Okay. It cannot be passed on. Sin is something that you commit, not something that you inherit. And we read passages like 1 John chapter 3. You know 1 John 3 and verse 4? Brother Paul, get over there and read that for us. 1 John 3, chapter 3. And look down to uh, verse 4. Now, John is known as the apostle of love, and he certainly was. But out of love, uh, he tried to... Um, he teaches us about sin. Let's see what this says. 1 John 3, verse 4. 1 John 3, verse 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law. For 
sin is the transgression of the law. Okay. Whoever commits sin is transgresses the law. For what is sin? Sin is the transgression of the law. Some of your translations will have the word lawlessness. Okay. Same idea. You, you are a lawless person. A lawless person transgresses the law. Okay. It's something you commit, something you do against the law of God. Okay. It's not something that can be passed on. We read often in James 1, 14 and 15, about sin. James does a wonderful job there of describing sin to us. He says, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. Notice that. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's finished with you, brings forth death. That is separation from God. But notice the progression of sin there. Begins with lust or desires. And then you get enticed further about that. And then when that gets through with you, you begin to commit sin. And if you don't watch it, that's going to lead to uh, separation from God, death, eternal, uh, spiritual death. Okay. So it is of such a nature that it cannot be passed down, cannot be uh, inherited. Another thing about sin is the Bible clearly teaches that we are responsible for our own conduct. Okay? That we're responsible for our own sin. Okay? Notice what James just said there to us in James 1, 14 and 15. Every man is drawn away of his own lust. Okay? His own lust. Okay? Not somebody else's, not my parents, my own lust. And Certainly sin is something we're responsible for. It's not something that is inherited. Now let's look at this passage uh, in the Old Testament together. Ezekiel 18. Ezekiel 18. And if you haven't marked it in a while in, a while in your Bible, you'll want to do this. We'll be looking at verse 20 of Ezekiel 18. There was a notion back in Ezekiel's day that he had to deal with. If you look at Ezekiel 18, verse 2, they had come up with this proverb, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Okay. If you eat a sour grape, you know what that does to your teeth. But they had come up with this proverb, our fathers have done this and now we are suffering because of what they've done. But Ezekiel explains that everybody is responsible for their own conduct. Look at Ezekiel 18, verse 20. Ezekiel 18, verse 20. The soul who sins, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, and neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. ESV has, the son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, and the father shall not suffer for the for the iniquity of the Son. Okay. Every man shall bear his own burden, Galatians 6, verse 5 says. Okay. Every tub sits on its own bottom, people have said. Right. And so that's the nature of sin. First, it's not something that can be passed along. And secondly, 
we are all responsible for our sins. And we could, we could keep going here and talk about how that on the final day of judgment, each of us shall give an account of himself to God. One passage along that line is Romans 14 and verse 12. Okay. But we just can't keep going on with that. But you get the idea. You get the idea. So in response to this error, notice a couple of teachings about sin, but also notice a couple of teachings about children. Children. Okay. You've already picked up on the fact that we all come into this world upright. Ecclesiastes 7.29 pointed that out for us, didn't it? Okay. God has made us upright. Now we go astray, and we invent ways of going astray, but God has made us upright. Children come into this world innocent, innocent, okay? Back in the days of the prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and others, they were having to point out the sins of the, of the neighboring nations. And even God's own people started participating in this sin. The sin was you would take your child and sacrifice your child to a God. One god was the god of Molech. Okay. And Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 19 and verse 4, he says that you're going to be condemned because of the blood of the innocents. Okay. The blood of the innocents. Notice that, that Jeremiah, through the inspiration of God, calls children the innocents. Innocents. And that's what... Children ought to be called innocent because they, we come into this world innocent. Innocent. Okay. Jesus even sets up children as models of, uh, they have qualities that we ought to follow. Okay. Like in Matthew 18, 1 through 4, Jesus told his disciples as he called a little child in amongst them, he said, whoever humbles himself as this little child, the same is going to get to be part of my kingdom. And in the next chapter, Matthew 19, 14, Jesus said, Suffer the little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of God. So the reason Jesus is doing that, he's saying you need to emulate certain qualities of children because they come into this world and, and they're so innocent. They're so innocent. And so that's a teaching from the Bible about children. We all come into this world as, as clean as new snow. And let me add this to that. Where do we get our soul? Who gave us our soul? Who? God. God. Okay. Now, oftentimes at funerals we read uh, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7, where it says that the body returns to where? to the earth from which it came, back to the dust. But the spirit, see, there's, we, we are a dual people. We're, we're at least a two-part people, body and soul. The spirit returns to God who gave it. Okay. We always read that at funerals because it's so appropriate, but it's appropriate for us right now. God gave us our spirit. We're made in the image of God. So therefore, he gave us our soul. Okay. So therefore, when we come into this world, we're just as pure 
as the source, you see. The source of our being is the Lord God. Our parents did not give us our soul. Now, God used our parents to bring us into this world, but our spirit comes from God who gave it. It's a remarkable, an amazing, interesting ideal. But we come, children coming into this world, and we're just as pure as God who created us. And so that's the teaching about children. Another thing about children is uh, children are incapable of committing sin, aren't they? Isn't that just plain, Brother Paul? Children are incapable of committing uh, sin. What sin are they going to commit? If you say, well, a child has sin, what sin are they going to commit? Is it, is it thievery? Is it lying? Is it adultery? Is it murder? Is it evil thoughts? I mean, what, what sin are they committing if they're committing uh, sin? But we know that children are just not capable of that. They can't speak when they come into this world. Okay. So they're still very much in the learning stage and will be for several uh, years. Okay. And so as we respond to this, think about some teachings about sin. Think about some teachings about children. But then let's think about God for a second. Okay. Do you believe that God is, is just... Do you believe that he's just? Do you think he's perfectly just in all that he does? If a little child is a sinner and a little child dies, what then? Can we even conceive of the idea that that child would be lost eternally we can't even that's that's really just foolish to even think about isn't it but you see this ideal which is so popular really reflects upon the goodness and justice of God I think it was Abraham wasn't it back in Genesis 18:25 he said Shall not the judge of the earth do right? That's what we believe. And that's true because God is just and holy. Okay. But what kind of justice would it be, by the way, if I am to suffer for the sins of my parents? Does that sound like justice at all? That's not justice. Okay. And so it's not even within the framework of God's thinking that somehow or another, another person is going to be tagged or, or going to suffer the consequences of somebody else's sin. That's just not just and righteous. And we know that about uh, the Lord God. Okay. All right, so having seen what it is and then how to respond to it and in other words, what does the Bible actually teach about sin, about children, and about God? I think we can see that pretty clearly. Clearly. Now, what are some passages that sometimes people use to try to support this erroneous notion of sin being inherited? Let's turn to, back to Ephesians 2 for a second. Turn back to Ephesians 2, the first passage we read together. 
Notice carefully, Ephesians 2, verse 3. Paul is speaking about life before you become a Christian. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were, here it is, and were by nature the children of laugh, the children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now that's one thing that, that is emphasized often is you see as children we have the nature of sin. Okay. This is a passage that's used. But what does this really mean? Okay. Who would like to take off and explain to us what, what does it mean to be by nature the children of wrath? So, so are you saying that our own mind, our own flesh causes us to sin? Okay. And that creates a nature for sin? Okay. Let's go a little bit further than that. Who else would like to think about this with us? Explain it a little bit. Okay, Roger commenting that most people are living according to verses 2 and 3, according to the, their desires of the flesh and, and the mind. Okay. When you think of nature here, think of the word custom. Or think of the word habit. Or think of the word practice. And I believe this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, you by habit have become children of wrath. Or you by your custom. What custom? The habit of living according to your flesh. The habit of living according to the desires of your own mind instead of living for Christ. Okay. Practice. By long-standing practice. Long-standing long -standing way of living. That's the idea. By your long-standing way of living, you have become children of wrath. How do we know that's a safe interpretation? Because we've already seen what the Bible actually teaches about sin, children, and God. Okay. And so there's got to be an explanation for this. Let's um, think about it like this. Um, suppose you're sitting around uh, the table on Saturday night and uh, there's a certain family member who has a certain habit on Saturday night. Okay, what is that? Go out and drink what he shouldn't drink. So that you're around the table and certain one's missing. Somebody says, where is so-and-so? And they say, well, you know where he's at. It's Saturday night. Okay, that's his nature. 
That's his nature. What do we mean by that? We don't mean by that that he's been drinking this stuff ever since he was born. Okay. But rather, what do we mean? We mean that he has picked up on this. This has become his habit. This has become his custom. This has become his nature. This has become natural to him. It's become second nature to him. Okay. That's what this verse is teaching. Paul's saying you have been... In, in your pre-Christian life, you were, you were by nature. You, it, you were serving sin. You were serving Satan. It became a habit for you. Okay. And you practiced it and you practiced it, and so you were known for this. Okay. Your identity was you were sons of disobedience. Okay. But now it's different. You become a Christian. But, no, but at one time it was like this. Okay. All right. Let's turn back to Psalm uh, number uh, let's do 51 Psalm 51 you recall as David is confessing his sin likely his sin that he sinned against and with Bathsheba and against her husband. He says in verse 4, he says, Lord, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words. Verse 5, Behold, I was, this translation says, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. So, how are you going to explain that? Some would take that and say, see, I was conceived in sin. One thing that we always ask when we're reading the Bible or any other thing that we're reading is what type of literature are we dealing with? What type of language are we dealing with? Okay, is it history? Okay, is it biography? All right. Is it a letter written to somebody? Is it poetry? And of course, this is poetry. And with poetry, there's a lot of exaggeration. We exaggerate to make an emphasis, right? And that's what I believe that's what David is doing here. David is frustrated. Have you, have you confessed sin? If you truly have, you know how frustrated you are, not at God, at yourself. You're frustrated at yourself. You're angry at yourself. Okay. And you will say things. Okay. You know, I get frustrated myself. Sometimes I'll say, well, there goes David Barker again doing this dumb, stupid thing that I've always done stupid and I'm doing it again. You know, King David here is saying he's very frustrated. And he's, he's just been sinning all his life. Okay. It's not that he's been a sinning every moment of his life, but he, he's confessing his sin. And he's letting God know uh, his feelings. Okay. Turn to, um, just to compare something here, turn back to Job uh, 31. Job 31. Job was having to defend himself because he's had all these bad things happen to him and people said or saying to Job, Job, you need to come clean. All this bad stuff wouldn't be happening to you if, 
unless you've got some sin, so you need to come clean. Job's just simply saying he's not perfect, but he's, he's also not been a, 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 an unfaithful transgressor either. And so he explains in verse 16, 17, and 18 that, that from, he, from his very womb, since he was very early, he had been caring for the fatherless and the needy. You see that in verse 18? From my, very, from my mother's womb, from, from, from very early on, I have been caring for the fatherless. Uh, they grew up with me as a father. And from my mother's womb, I have guided the widow. So what a man Job was. He wasn't a selfish man. As he, from as far back as he could remember, he was caring for widows, his family was caring for widows, they were looking out for children who didn't have a mommy or a daddy. Okay. And what's he saying? He's not saying that, that from day one I've been caring for widows. From the first week of my life I've been caring, caring for widows. He's not saying that. He's, just, he's exaggerating. This is poetry. He's exaggerating for emphasis. He says, he says ever since way early on I'm not a perfect guy, Job is saying, but from early on, I've been, I have not been living for myself. I've been living for others as well. Okay. And that's the same thing David is doing in the other way. Okay. As he's frustrated at himself, he's confessing his sin, and he says, I've been sinning all my life. Well, not since the day you were born, but, but you've been frustrated yourself more than once. Okay. Any thought on that further? That's just... Seems to me to be the, uh, an explanation. All right. So, some proof passages. One would be Ephesians 2, another would be Psalm uh, 51. Look at Psalm 58 right quick. Again, remember this is, this is poetry, but notice um, verse 3, Psalm 58, verse 3. Uh, the wicked are estranged. In other words, they're away from God from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. You see that in verse 3? Now, what are you going to say about that? See that? I, um, Psalm 58, verse 3. Psalm 58, uh, verse 3. The wicked are away from God from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. Just reading that. What are you going to, what would you say? Can a baby actually speak? Okay. You know that a baby can't actually speak. This is just, this is an exaggeration for the sake of emphasis. Okay. In other words, you who are wicked, okay, you have not changed your ways. You've been doing this ever since you were young, very young. Okay. That's the ideal that is getting cross here, in my opinion. Um, he talks about the wicked here in Psalm 58, verse 4. They have venom, like the venom of a serpent, like the deaf uh, adder that stops, in the, stops uh, its ears so that it does not hear the voice of the charmers or the cunning uh, enchanted. Can a baby cover up its ears um, so that it will not hear what God is saying? It's obviously poetry uh, being used to express uh, these ideas. Okay. Notice in verse 6, O God, break their teeth 
in their mouths, tear out the fangs of the young lions. Okay. Well, you can't take this literally because babies don't have teeth. Okay. Babies can't speak, they don't have teeth. So the idea is it's, it's, um, it's an expression, again, of frustration toward uh, the wicked or even toward one's own uh, wickedness. Yeah. Ephesians. Right. Baby can't confess sins. Baby can't respond uh, to the gospel. So what we've seen here is, what is this erroneous notion? Okay. What does the Bible teach about sin, children, and God? What are some passages, ideals that are used to uh, support this? Okay. What are some... The next thought here is, how does this link to other things that are false? Okay. In other words, uh, this is how infant baptism got going. Okay, this, is the, this is the basis of infant baptism. You ever wonder why people will baptize a baby? This is it right here. Okay, because they feel like a baby has sins, which he does not have. But they feel like a baby has sins. So this, see how this false notion leads to something else that's false. Okay. Have you ever heard of the Catholic uh, teaching called immaculate conception? What does that refer to? Immaculate conception. Conception. What is that? Hmm? All right. What did that see? The, the Catholics believe that babies are born sinners. Then a, a thought is, okay, what about Jesus? Okay. Jesus was born through Mary. How are we going to rescue that? Because how are you going to say Jesus was sinless and yet he was born from flesh? Okay. The Catholics come up with the ideal immaculate. starts with an I. I-M-M. Immaculate. In other words, when Mary conceived, she be suddenly became sinless for that period of time so that she could bring Jesus into the world without sin. So the original sin did a Passover on Mary for that time. And so, but it's, again, that's wrong, but it springs from one wrong thing leading to another wrong thing. Okay. Well, last week we talked about how some of our religious friends believe that the, God's Holy Spirit, or God the Holy Spirit, I should say, will work on a person directly. Okay. You say, where does this come from? It comes from this notion right here we're talking about tonight. Why? Because our, our friends out here in this church and that, they believe we're born sinners, and God's got to rescue, rescue from us from that. They believe that we're so depraved in our sin that we cannot believe until God comes down and does something with His Spirit upon us. That he, he's got to come down and regenerate us okay, in a way that really can't be comprehended 
And once he does that to us, then we're able to believe and trust in Jesus and then read the Bible okay, and understand the Bible. Okay. They believe that. It's not right. We, we noticed several passages last week how God, God the Holy Spirit, works through the gospel. Okay. But why do they believe in such a, a um, supernatural infusion of the Holy Spirit? Because they believe that you're born a sinner and that you cannot possibly respond to God until you've had God work on you in some kind of supernatural way. I'm not making that up. This is how this, see how all this gets connected? Okay. And so it's, it's, it's good to know this because you'll know where a person is coming from. What, what are they hearing? This is what they're hearing. Okay. And most people hear it and they never question it because this guy who's telling, telling them all this, he's doing good works, he's a good guy, he's got a good wife, he's got some good children, he dresses well, he does good works, He's kind to the older folks. He reads his Bible. So therefore, he can't say anything. He must not say anything that's wrong. But he is wrong. Okay? It's just not right. And it's just a shame. It's a real, real shame that the Scriptures teach it so plainly. And yet he has, this, is, this has been generated through several generations now. And we have to do our best to to um, stand against it, to teach the truth. The truth is with children, they are safe when they come into this world. That helps us teach children. Okay? We don't get in any rush about baptizing children. Okay? God is keeping them safe until they get to the point where they understand right versus wrong and they're their responsibility before God. And so all these years of childhood, you know, God gives us those years to build their faith, teach them properly, and build the proper foundation. Okay. But now, for adults, it's a different story. When we sin, okay, that separates us from God. So it's much more urgent for us when we read about the teaching of sin. Because we know how sin gets started, then we can have more victory over sin. If we are constantly thinking that somehow or another we have a sin nature, then we're not going to fight against sin near as hard. But when we understand it's our own responsibility, it comes from our own mind, it comes from our own desires, then we can better... Uh, with Christ and His Word, we can better stand against uh, Satan. Okay. Any other thoughts you want to add to our study uh, this evening? Rogers expressing some personal experience with just what we were describing about a man believing the Holy Spirit got a hold of him and he believes that because he's being told that and not because the Bible has led him that way.
Well, these are wonderful passages uh, that we're reading. We're, we're seeking to defend what God says, but we also can see how wonderful these passages are and how really uplifting they are in that God gives us the ability to overcome uh, sin. All right. We'll take a three or four minute break as people come in and uh, have our final devotional period here in just a little bit.